Hey there, and welcome back to the Mini Weekend. I'm your host, Jack. Let's crack a beer and get the ball rolling, Mini. Just here for the beer. What are we drinking tonight? Well, you guys knew uh, from last week that we were going to be doing another Two Towns uh, Cider House Cider. You just didn't know what flavor we were going with. Um, tonight we're actually doing the cider I wanted to start off with last week. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, 50-50 chance and opened it on the wrong side. So, uh, tonight it's just the typical, it's called the Bright Cider. It's their hard apple cider. Uh, it says made with Newtown Pippins. No idea what that means. Actually, judging by the can, it's probably a specific kind of a apple so, um, yeah, um, who, um, first, first overall, um, opinion on this very tart, um, it's a radiant and balanced bright cider, it shines with Newton Pippin apples, the pioneer variety that defined the cider palette of the Northwest. Um, I have to say it's very tart. It's very tart. Um, I don't typically, we've talked about this before. I'm not a huge cider person. Um, and when it comes to ciders, I don't typically like ones that kind of bite at me. And when I talk about that, I mean, you know, the tartness. Um, it's weird because it's not from the get-go. You feel it. It's not super carbonated. You feel it kind of hit your tongue. And it feels and tastes nice and smooth. As it rolls down, though, you can just feel the tartness and... Like I said, I'm sure it's uh, the apple itself. You can almost feel and taste the um, <coughs> excuse me, feel and taste the um, carbonation kind of come alive. And uh, don't like that again. We sorry, I should say, don't particularly like that again. I know there are a lot of people out there that will like this. Um, but I have to say, I'd have to go back and look at um, our roster. But I've, we've definitely done some. We, we've definitely done some ciders on the podcast that I really do like, and that I would go out of my way and um, get again. Actually, one of those we just did it. I think a month ago, the Cider Boys really like that. Um, don't particularly care for this one. Truthfully, it's. It's hard to compare um, a cider that's not supposed to be flavored, supposed to be like a cider of its own, to something that is flavorful. But truthfully, personally, I would prefer to have the Pacific Pineapple like we did last week than another one of these. Again, doesn't mean it's the world's worst um, cider. There's probably worse ciders out there. It's just not particularly my favorite Um So yeah, like that, um, 
Ooh. They, I think maybe as you drink it, it gets there. Um, it bites and bites even more. 6% APB. Um, <coughs> I'd have to go 5-2. Again, I think there's... I think there's a crowd for it. Um, not my favorite. And um, moving on. Actually, I kind of forgot that I um, didn't tell you guys. So once again... Um, if you didn't listen last, if you didn't listen last week, Two Town Cider House, excuse me, is not from Minnesota. We did get a handful of you fans reaching out about this place. It's actually located in um, Oregon. <coughs> um, I believe the town is called. It's it's actually not far from Oregon State University, right across. Um, what's that? The Willamette River. Looks like it's called Coravallis, Oregon. Um, looks pretty cool. Uh, they got a lot of cool um, stuff going on. Excuse me. Uh, if you go check out their website, it is just to the number two townscyderhouse.com. Um, and um, yeah, they have a lot of uh, cool stuff on there. They got some uh, events going on. That kind of stuff you can find out there, um, what they have going on. You can get tours, all that kind of fun stuff. So if you're interested, if you go out there, they're opened um, Mondays, or excuse me, Sunday through Wednesday, noon to 7, and then Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays, noon to 9. Um, you can also find them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I believe they have a YouTube, it looks like, as well, so... Go check them out and uh, get ready for the last two flavors. We will try these next two weeks. All right, um, Tommy Town. The uh, the first order of business we have for you guys, as far as St. Thomas is concerned, is um, the article was written just earlier today, but it was actually announced just yesterday that St. Thomas inks its first ever broadcast TV deal. Yes, you heard that correctly. The University of St. Thomas Director of Athletics, Dr. Phil Esten, announced Tuesday that Fox 9 Plus will be the television home of Tommy Athletics for the 2023-2024 season. Fox 9 Plus will air select home games um, for St. Thomas Athletics in the Twin Cities channels, including the Final Four football games and select basketball and hockey games. Easton had this to say about the contract. St. Thomas is proud to partner with Fox 9 Plus as we extend our media coverage to include broadcast TV in the local Twin Cities market. As a university located in the heart of St. Paul, Minnesota, this is an exciting opportunity for our fans and student athletes as we become the first athletic department in the metro area to sign a unique multi-sport local broadcast deal. It's also worth noting the landmark gives Fox 9 plus the rights to air selected Tommy home football games, like I mentioned, men and women's basketball and hockey games in the country's 15th largest media market. Um, the full schedule for all of the games will be announced by the station and St. Thomas when determined later this year, with it being, excuse me, with it being um, football games too. I would imagine it would be within the next two years as <coughs> St. Thomas will next be home on the 23rd, no, 23rd or um, 30th. I can't remember off the top of my head. So 
Yeah, uh, the deal is also the first of its kind for the Tommies, who recently announced a new streaming partner, Midco Sports Plus. In early August, production for both Fox 9 Plus and Midco Sports Plus will continue to be provided by the University of St. Thomas, including activation of student experience with Fox 9 Plus, providing an on-site reporter during select events. So super exciting, super exciting for the school as a whole, but also super exciting for um, these teams to get just a little bit more of exposure, obviously still being new to um, Division One sports. They're are obviously not getting as much publicity as, you know, a University of Minnesota would or even in Alabama or Texas or some of these other big schools. Um, so it'll be uh, nice to see uh, them on TV. So can't wait for that. Um, the other area of business we have was earlier this week on Monday, the Tommy women's hockey team was picked to finish tied for sixth in the eight-team WCHA preseason poll. Um, the defending national champions, Wisconsin, and defending league champions, Ohio State, are the picks among the league head coaches to win the WCHA this upcoming season. Um, it's also worth noting, excuse me, head coaches could not vote for their own team. So the only two, like I mentioned, the only two teams that received um, first first place votes and also tied for 46 points were Wisconsin and Ohio State. University of Minnesota was tabbed for third. UMD was tabbed for fourth. St. Cloud State fifth. Minnesota State and St. Thomas tied for sixth. And then Bemidji State facing last. Uh, third year head coach. Joel Johnson and his Tommy program are preparing for season three of the Division One <laughs> competition, and that actually starts with a Sunday, September twenty fourth, home exhibition game against Durham in Mendota Heights, which will be super exciting. Um, additionally, the the Tommies are returning seventeen letter winners from last season, including graduate student Allie Monreen. Monreen is one of Excuse me, two Division Three era hockey players still competing with the Tommies. Monreen brings a 103 college game resume, and including 69 played in the Division One era. <coughs> and as a reminder, before we get too close to the season and forget, Joel Johnson and his staff added nine freshmen this offseason and three transfers to join his squad for the season. Um, two of the three transfers being goalie. Um, one of them was is graduate student Olivia King from Garrison, Minnesota, who transferred for the U of M, University of Minnesota. Another graduate student, Calla Frank, who is a Twin Cities native as well, transferred from Minnesota State. And the final transfer was a junior, Rachel Golnitz, a Forest Lake native who was transferring from Colgate University. Excuse me. And the nine new freshmen are Abby Garvin, an Edina native, Kara Savicek from Shoreview, Minnesota, from, um, played last played at Gentry Academy, Ella Boringer, a two-time um, state champion and 2023 Miss Hockey recipient from Andover High School, uh, Ella House, a Forest Lake native from Hill Murray, Kira Parker of Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, Lainey DeVries from Lindstrom, Minnesota. Maddie Brown, also from Andover High School. Maddie Helm Helmstetter, 
a Twin Cities native who played at Holy Family last year, and Riley Bartz, the Fargo native who was named the 2022-2023 USA Today HSSA National Girls Hockey Player of the Year. So can't wait to see um, them get everything underway for the season. It's also worth noting that they finished the 22-23 regular season in 7th place. Um the WCHA with a 3-24-1 record in WCHA play and an overall record of 8-27-1. So can't wait for the hockey season to get going. Um, wrapping up Tommy Town for us tonight, um, the Tommy's defense um, were up to their eyeballs and the big boys from Vermilion, South Dakota, um, losing uh, in the Dakota Dome, twenty-four to nothing um, from the Coyotes. It is worth noting St. Thomas went into halftime only down seven nothing. Um, and you know, looking at this game, I think, like we talked about last week, um, many experts expected this to be a blowout. In favor of South Dakota, it was a, this was the lone game. A lot of people had questions about can the Tommies win this game and being the big one of the of the season for them. Um, but South Dakota was just too much um, for St. Thomas with scholarship student athletes on their side. They were supposed to be the superior team, but truthfully, the Tommies held their own, especially on the defensive side of the ball. St. Thomas held South Dakota to just six first downs in the first half and 26 rushing yards and got a huge stop on the home team's first drive of the game. However, despite the intense defensive pressure by the Tommies, the Coyotes scored on the first touchdown of the game at 631 in the first quarter. Um, and then um, after that, the this, um, this offense just really couldn't get much going as... They rushed for a total of 33 yards, and um, freshman Take Tecota, um only managed 133 passing yards um, on the day. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is with, uh, worth noting Tate Tecota, um did make his first start of his collegiate career at quarterback, completing 15 of 22 passes for 123, 33 passing yards. His top receiver was Colin Chase, uh, who tallied 40 receiving yards on five receptions. Um, and then um, uh, three Tommies led the team with seven tackles on Saturday afternoon. Griff Worths, Tommy Shellstead, and Jack Moeller. Um, other notables from this game, the last time St. Thomas was shut out in a football game was December 10th, 2011, when the Tommies lost to UW-Whitewater in the playoffs, 21 to nothing. That was exactly 4,291 days passed between the two shutouts, which is one of the longest records in program history. So with that, St. Thomas will look to rebound with a win at Harvard on Saturday the 16th. Kickoff is currently scheduled for noon Central Time in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So with that, we preview this game a little bit. So uh, like I said, uh, shipping off to Boston, they'll make their first East Coast trip of the season as they head to Massachusetts to face Harvard in a very historic first meeting between the two programs. Um, 
It's historic in many fronts, I, I learned looking at this game, <clears throat> as they're two of the most storied programs in college football. Um, combined, Harvard and St. Thomas have won 1,543 football games in 150 years of existence, and both programs rank in the top 100 all-time in career wins. Entering Saturday's contest, Harvard ranks 10th in the nation in total wins as a program, while St. Thomas ranks 84th. It's also kind of weird it, uh, in their 150 years of existence. Harvard football has never faced a team from Minnesota. In fact, uh, the Crimson are 7-2 all-time against teams west of the Mississippi. Um, so, yeah, so don't want to go too much down memory road. Obviously, the Tommies have... Are looking to get back in the win column and to two and one on the season. But for the opposition, Harvard will actually be playing its season opener on Saturday, having enjoyed the last two weekends off. The Crimson, however, did put together a strong 2022 season, posting an overall record of six and four with a four and three mark in the Ivy League conference. Senior defensive lineman Thor Griffin is Harvard's top returning player having earned All-American honors from multiple organizations at the conclusion of the 22 season. He additionally was named to the 2024 Senior Bowl and Buck Buchanan Award presentation watch lists earlier this fall. <coughs> um, it's actually funny. Harvard's actually found a fair amount of success against teams currently playing in the Pioneer Football League. In addition to their 3-1 record against San Diego, the Crimson are 1-0 all-time against Valspario, defeating them 21-0 in 1920. Um, interesting, interesting fun fact. Um, and the other weird thing, Harvard Stadium will be the largest venue capacity-wise that Tommies will play in during the 2023 season, when full, the historic stadium can seat up to 25,884 strong fans, which is nearly quintuple O'Shaughnessy Stadium, which is capacity is just over 5,000. By comparison, the Dakota Dome in Vermilion, South Dakota, can seat just over nine. Uh, it can seat, sorry, 9,100 exactly. Well, for a point of reference, U.S. Bank Stadium can seat 73,000. Um, like I said, I, I think, um, I think, um, St. Thomas will look to the running game that got them their first win of the season and, um, their, their stout defense. Look, St. Thomas's defense is conti continues to rank in the top 10 in the FCS in terms of rush defense after holding South Dakota to only 106 rushing yards. They got most of their yards through the air. Tommy's ranked six in rush defense, and that is the only non—they're the only non-scholarship current team to rank in the top ten in that category. So it'll be another tough game, as um, Harvard is typically known for their football. Um, but it should be a good game, and can't wait to see who will be at the quarterback helm, and can't wait to see if um, the Tommies. And Glenn Caruso can come out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, two and one. So, roll Tom's. Can't wait to watch. So this week for our um, local business shout-out, we're going with it's called the Soda Shop. It's the S O T A 
shop and I gotta tell you guys, um, what drew me to them was their, you guessed it, their football uh, Vikings stuff. But that's just a small bunch of things that they have. So um, their main, <clears throat> uh, their main um, attraction is their Instagram. So it's just um, the soda shop, all lowercase, and um. All lowercase. And, uh, yeah, go check them out. It looks like they have a location in Maple Grove off 96th Avenue. It looks like it's less of a store and more of a, you know, um, you can pick up stuff so they don't have to ship it uh, to you. But I urge you guys, go check them out. They got lots of tons, really cool stuff kind of gearing up for fall here. Not just for football, but fall and all of that kind of stuff so yes like i said uh the soda shop you can find them on instagram um and um you can go check out their website too it's just the soda shop.com and um <clears throat> yeah if you guys have stuff from them let me know what you like and um what we should be getting next so um with that diving into our professional sports um first and foremost we actually did get a question um, not about the three main sports, but actually about the twins. And, um, Glenn actually wanted to know how do you think the twins are looking going into playoff time? And, you know, Glenn, I got to be completely honest. Um, uh, earlier in the summer when the twins just didn't look, um, that great, I kind of stopped paying attention to, the, to, to them for the most part. Um, you know, they're, they're hovering at 76 and 70 right now, um, uh, after losing, uh, earlier today, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, I think just by virtue of winning the, um, uh, the central, they will get, and I don't think the central was supposed to be that good this year. They currently got seven and a half games on Cleveland, nine and a half on Detroit, 20 on Chicago and 30 and a half on Kansas City. So just by virtue of winning the division, which unless something catastrophic happens, I um, I think that should happen. You know, again, you know, great question, Glenn, because we are coming up on the last, what's that? The last, today is the 13th. So one, two, you know, two and a half weeks left of the season. Uh, they still have games against um, Chicago, um, Oakland, Cincinnati. So it'll be interesting to see how <clears throat> the end of the season goes. But um, getting ready to answer your question, Glenn, I did read up on them. And it seems like the consensus is a lot of people think seem to think the Twins have great batting power and they have great uh, starting pitchers as well. It's just more or less of an inconsistency problem. So, you know, to kind of answer your question, Glenn, um, as of right now, um, these are the ma- how the matchups fare. The Twins are t- technically the um, third and first wild card team. Um, so, as of right now, they would play the Rangers in the wild card. Should they beat them, they would go on to play the Astros. Um, Twins, uh, sorry. Yeah, and then, um, 
so should they, yeah they would play them so and truth I gotta be honest I it's hard to it's hard to um get excited about this team just because of how um how much it's um just how dreadful it's been in the playoffs for us you know based off of like we've talked about based off their pitching this year so far and based off of their um pitching and their batting power I'd love to be able to say I'm you know I'm hopeful and confident that they should win a wild card series against the Rangers and hopefully go on to hold themselves against the Astros you just never know with this team um it could be another letdown um as of right now um for the American League playoff picture um we are all but certainly going to make the playoffs and clinch the division there's um and there's less of a chance there's less than a one percent chance of us clinching a buy so at this point um get into that first um wild card spot because the top two teams get buys uh get into that first wild card spot host the playoff can't remember if it's a single game or if it's a three game series but um host that and um yeah move on and uh can't wait to see uh what happens there um so yeah, as for the Wild, no new news as um, for them. We are getting close here to the um, Tom Curver's Prospect Showcase at the Tria Rink that we mentioned. Uh, what was it last last podcast? Should be should be really fun. Um, the first game seven p.m. this Friday the fifteenth against the St. Louis Blues. Saturday the 16th, the Wild will have an off day, uh, and the Blues and the Blackhawks will, uh, Blues and Blackhawks will, um, play, and after that, the St. Louis Blues will be able to head home, while on Sunday, the Wild and Blackhawks will, uh, face off, so it should be, should be some good games, uh, should be a good glimpse at, you know, who some of these young guys are going to be, and if they're going to be able to make that next step in, um, play with the big boys this year or not. So, um, yeah, can't wait to, uh, can't wait to see that underway. And then as far as the, as far as the, um, NBA off season is going to go, um, don't worry. I'm sure it's going to gear up here pretty, pretty soon. Um, as training camps, uh, will start to commence here within the next, by the end of the month. Um, but the FIBA World Cup just did wrap up, what was it, um, on the 10th. So just, what, what was that, you know, two and a half, you know, three days ago, just wrapped up. Um, and I got to say, I'm disappointed. Uh, USA had a very poor ending to that. Uh, they lost in the semifinals on a heartbreaker, 111-113 to Germany. And then if that wasn't bad enough, uh, we played Canada in the third place game. And Dylan Brooks dropped a 40-piece on us to make sure that we did not even place. Um, Germany went on to uh, beat Serbia for gold, so congratulations to them. Um, So, yeah, uh, Germany got first place, Serbia got second, uh, Canada got third, and um, USA got fourth place. And I got to say, I'm already getting excited for the um, Olympics for next year. Um... LeBron James, KD, Devin Booker, some of these big guys have uh, kind of saw the, you know, the ending to how the FIBA World Cup went, and they were not happy with it. 
Um, LeBron apparently has already said he's all he's already um, in a position to um, say he's going to play next year at the Olympics. Um, and he's trying to recruit Steph. He's trying to recruit KD. He's trying to recruit um, Jason Tatum, uh, AD. Um, yeah, all these guys. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, USA, you know, there's no reason, not to say that Germany and Serbia aren't great teams, but there's no reason this USA team couldn't have gotten first, second, or God forbid, even third place. So, um, yeah, that is what we have. Um, and like I said, we got, I mean, Timberwolves basketball here. Um, the preseason is getting started on, um, almost a month from today on this, on, uh, October 14th. So, I mean, from tonight, one, two, three, four, four and a half weeks away. So, like I said, anticipate some, you know, some off-season um, uh, <coughs> moves and all that kind of stuff, getting ready for the preseason, and we'll go from there. Um, now on to the arguably the best um, part of the podcast. A lot of uh, people in the fall listen specifically just for – uh, the football reviews, uh, the Vikings, uh, the betting, kind of all that stuff. Um, I hope you guys didn't listen too much to me and put too much stock into my picks last week. Um, Kirk did not throw the ball 50-plus times. Defensively, we only got to Baker. We only sacked him once. I got to say, I was pretty pleased with the pressure we brought on him. Baker just did a phenomenal job of evading, giving himself a couple extra seconds. Um, and the Vikes did not win 27-10. to 10. Mike Evans, unfortunately, did end up playing, even though he still does not have a contract. Um, and, um, yeah, lost a close one, 20-17. I got to say, um, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, there's some good and some bad in terms of uh, last last week's game. And let's just start with the good. The good... Wide receivers were fantastic. J.J., everybody knows, finished with nine catches for 150 yards. Rookie Jordan Addison had four catches for 61 yards and scored his first NFL TD. K.J. Osborne continued with his three catches for 31 yards. Um, and Madison caught a touchdown. Um, now we're going to go downhill. The bad, Alexander Madison had a measly 34 yards on 11 carries. This offensive line got... Uh, zero push on the defensive box front, which is um, just kind of sad. Um, and Ed Ingram was especially bad, and the loss of Garrett Bradbury in that game did us no favor. And to make matters worse, he's listed out for tomorrow night's game. And the ugly, um, the off to to pile on the offensive line play was just bad, and it needs to be addressed. Um, with some urgency, we need more guys to be able to come on the line and um, do that kind of stuff. Um, and to kind of go on that, Kirk Cousins was hit nine times and sacked three times, and three costly turnovers. I think <clears throat> again, we don't we don't talk about moral victories in here, but the fact that the Vikings were able to turn the ball over three times and only lose by three um, is a big reason for my ability to be able to look at this game and say this game is not a cause for concern. You know, you take 
you take the good with the bad, the bad with the good, and with all the bad that happened, to be able to come out only losing three points. I mean, coughing the ball up three times, there's, as much as I hate to admit it, you cough the ball up three times, um, especially once in the red zone. You could We, we, we could have just as easily lost by 21 points. We didn't. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Um, hope you guys didn't um, put too much stake into my locks and uh, takeaways, or my locks and upset. The only things that hit last week were um, the three games I told you guys additionally that I liked. Um, so with that, let's just dive right into this upcoming week. So <clears throat> with that, um, let's hope and pray that I do better this week with my uh, picks. Again, um, bet responsibly. I'm not liable for any losses, uh, uh, money lost, or money won. Um, but my lock this week has to be the Giants at five and a half, five, five and a half point favorites over the Cardinals. The Giants this week will show some life with Daniel Jones, Saquon, and the offense against a shell of a defense in the desert. Um, there should probably be some big blue representation in Glendale. Um, and uh, consider this the classic get-well game as Arizona will be overmatched on both fronts. I got the Giants winning by 10, 27 to 17. And then my upset of the week, it was actually tough. There were two games that I liked for upsets. One of them was the same team we picked last week, so we can't do that. So my upset this week, I'm going with the Texans at one and a half point underdogs against the Colts. Look, this game really is a toss-up. It's going to be a close game. It's between two rookie first-round QBs and Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud, in which one of them is bound to get their first NFL victory. And personally, I think the Texans' defense has um, a big issue versus the run, but it gets a break here, not facing the nemesis of Jonathan Taylor. And there should also be, they should also be solid against a pass under Demarco Ryan's and can contain, you know, a limited attack. Um, that with Stroud, I think he looked good last week when um, getting time to hit his wideouts, and the Colts' secondary, I think, will oblige. I got the Texans winning a close one, 22-17. So, um, now getting into this Vikings game, it's, it is a tough game. I was talking with some of my coworkers uh, earlier today, and it would, be the very, it would be very Vikings, very Minnesotan, to lose, to start the season, losing to a team you have no reason losing to, and then going into Philly, um, and winning there. Um, but I think one of the things I'm very quickly to talk about with this team is that they, um, with this team is that they, um, they have a short week. Philly also has a short week and both of us are going to have some guys out. Um, and I think getting into my predictions, I think offensively, I think TJ's got to get going. Um, the Eagles defense had some issues this last week against tight ends, and I think um, KOC and this offense has got to attack that. I think TJ is going to get going again. He had a pretty good game last week, but I think uh, tomorrow night he's going to have at least six catches for at least 50 yards and a tutty. <laughs> and defensively, I think we're going to get our first pick of the season. I think, like I said, I think we did a good job of bringing pressure. We didn't do a great job of containing Baker last week. Um so, 
We definitely need to step that up against the likes of Jalen Hurts tomorrow night. But unfortunately, I have the Vikes losing a close one, 24-20. So with that, this week, if you placed a three-game parlay like we talked about last week against the spread on the Vikings plus six, that just means, and when you're taking the Vikings plus six, that doesn't mean they're going to win. That means they're going to either win the game or they're going to lose by no more than six points. So if if I'm going to give you two different bets, you can place on the three games that we did this week. The first one is you can, against the spread, you can take the Vikings plus six, Houston at plus one and a half, um, and the Giants at minus five and a half. Placing a $100 bet on that would win you $600, 10 to win 60, 1 to win 6. Or if um, that kind of confuses you, um, you can bet straight up. You can switch your Vikings plus 6 to just the Philly money line. Money lines, if you bet the money line, you're essentially just betting who you think is going to win the game. Personally, if you like betting, I think the move is to do Vikings plus six only because if you bet the Philly money line, Houston at plus one and a half and the Giants at plus at minus five and a half betting a hundred. You only win 404. But hey, you guys do what you want to do. Again, bet responsibly, not liable for all this um, for any of your winnings. Or losses. Um, and then before I let you guys go for the night, um, the other games that I like here this weekend are Cincy, um, who are three and a half point favorites over the Ravens. Look, Joe Burrow struggled last week um, <clears throat> in his matchup against the Browns, but he's thrived against the Ravens when they have had tough defenses. I think Baltimore has weak, exploitable secondary, and their running game still has some questions now with J.K. Dobbins out and not letting Lamar Jackson rumble as much. I think the Ravens have some exciting young receivers, but ultimately the Bengals are underrated with their pass, rush, and coverage. I got the Bengals winning this game 31-23. My second lock I like is the Cowboys 9.5 over the Jets. This is supposed to be Aaron Rodgers' return to Dallas to face a familiar NFC team on the same field where he won his uh, Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it'll be Zach Wilson trying to navigate a brutal defense on the road on a short week. Um, One that just ripped Daniel Jones um, and the Giants apart. Um, I think the Jets' defense can keep them in the game versus a shaky Dak Prescott, but ultimately I think um, the Cowboys just have too much offensive a punch with their starting quarterback, and I got the Cowboys winning in a 10-point game. And then lastly, um, my other upset of the week was the only other upset, like I mentioned, that I liked what was last week. Steelers plus 2.5 over the Browns. Look, the Steelers really aren't as bad offensively and defensively as they showed in Week 1. The Browns aren't as dominant as they showed in Week 1, truthfully. And I think Pittsburgh can get back into... It's type of grinding, defensive-minded game that doesn't include an offense as diverse as San Francisco's. I think TJ Watt and friends will be able to rattle Deshaun Watson a little bit more uh, in prime time, while Kenny Pickett will settle in a little better to make some more key plays. Um, I think it'll be a close game, but I got Steelers winning this 21-17. to Once again, bet responsibly. And I'll, rem- I'll leave you guys with remember this podcast, but you guys, the listeners, if you have a question you want me to answer or a um, topic you want me to address, please reach out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or by emailing us. Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram handles are at miniweekend, and email is miniweekend at gmail.com. 
That's M-I-N-N-Y-W-E-E-K-E-N-D at gmail.com. And be sure to let us know if you'd like to stay anonymous with your questions as well. Also, find us and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter where there are giveaways and you can stay up to date on all things Mini Weekend. And lastly, make sure you hit that subscribe button to get notified of the new episode as soon as it comes out. Till next time, Mini.